Hello and welcome to What a Scream, the horror movie podcast where I host Igraine chats with a special guest every week about horror films. Now, usually I chat with my guest about a certain subject or topic and we each pick a film, but this week we are doing things a little bit differently. Myself and my guest are going to be talking about black and white horror films and some of our favorites. So we're going to have a big bumper episode this week. Um, so my guest this week is Rebecca, who is an assistant editor at Ghouls Magazine, as well as a senior contributor at Moving. <laughs> well, it's lovely to be back on what a scream. Um, yeah, as you've said, assistant editor at Ghouls, senior contributor at Moving Pictures Film Club, an assistant editor at Beauty of Horror. Um, I'm a writer. I write about film, horror, and Hitchcock is my other big passion. So the two H's in my life, horror and Hitchcock. And yeah, so pleased to be here to talk about black and white films. Um, sometimes I think I was probably born in the wrong era. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have such a love for black and white films? Do you know what? Actually, it's a really good question. I was, I was trying to like ponder that before before I came on and I, I I do remember as a kid on a Saturday afternoon me and my mum would always watch black and white films they'd be on BBC too like not necessarily horror but just black and white films and and even then I've always been a very like inward looking sentimental like even as a kid I was like that and um I really adored that sort of just seeing Hollywood on screen and thinking about the past and I think especially sort of looking at things more like recently, I definitely during COVID turned a lot to black and white horror as just a means of escapism of just going elsewhere. <laughs> yeah, for me, like I've always been into like the vintage kind of aesthetic. And yeah. obviously you kind of look to the old Hollywood black and white films because obviously they didn't have colour. So they really had to like amp up the... Uh, the aesthetics of it also everything was very opulent and uh very beautiful and i think that really because i'm such like an aesthetic person that really attracted me and then i feel like with horror it's it doesn't rely on techniques that we have now in modern horror so it's kind of atmospheric and it's again the costume it's the characterization and yeah a lot of my favorite horror films like frankenstein bride of frankenstein and dracula are all from that black and white era so yeah as you say it's like i love those sort of in-camera effects i like as you say because there's no color but i like the contrast of like how they play with lighting and shadows i love like just the even in we call them horror films but they they merge from so many other like genres as well like You've got like the sort of hard-boiled, noirish stuff that comes into play as well, which I really enjoy. I love the melodrama of it as well. Like, and it just like, it deals in a lot of themes I've found like as I've got older, like I've always said, oh, slashes are my sort of gateway into horror and I've always loved those the most. But definitely as I've got older, like these black and white films seem to deal in 
themes that I'm more interested in now, like, you know, like doubling and duality and like ambiguity and like female narratives and like how reliable those narratives are and like psychotic women. So, yeah. One of my big interests is the Hayes Code era, which um, was a set of rules set in place in Hollywood that they couldn't depict certain things. And so a lot of the time, directors and filmmakers had to find ways of getting around it and kind of depicting what they wanted to depict without getting in trouble with the censorship board. So that's like, I love that. I, I, not so much I don't love the Hayes Code, but, you know, I love <laughs> I love that era. So we have yeah. a lot of like queer coded films. And yeah, I, I'm just, I'm so interested in that era. Yeah, it's like you say, it's really fascinating to see how creatives walk that tightrope of, of, of saying what they wanted to say but you know doing it around the you know the restrictions of the code and like as you say like a lot of these films play a lot about with gender and identity and costume a lot and I love all that it's just great yeah um so this episode we are we're basically given 10 recommendations uh five each so you know listeners can go out there and discover the joys of black and white horror um, so I think we're going to start off with yours. We're going kind of chronologically, hopefully. <laughs> it was a bit of a scramble before we started recording, trying to put our stuff in order. Um, but yeah, so why don't we start off with your first recommendation? Sure. Um, well, this is very on brand. Um, <laughs> so yeah, my first recommendation is Rebecca um, from 1940, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. Um I, I've i just done a very brief synopsis for each of my films, just in case anyone is unfamiliar with them. So Rebecca is about a young woman who marries an aristocrat and upon arriving at his palatial home, she is met not only by a frosty and sinister housekeeper, but by representations of his former wife. So she then has to contend with powerful forces of Rebecca, which resurface again when a boat is found washed up and deadly secrets from the past return to haunt her. That's another thing as well. These films are all about like secrets that are repressed, right? Like that sort of thing. Um, So yes, uh, this is based on a Maurier novel. Um, Hitchcock had quite a solid relationship with the Maurier family he also filmed Jamaica in um and the birds so he, there was something I think he was seeing in her work that just kept him returning um you know we've got a lot of the gothic here with like Mandalay the the home the forbidden room which makes me think of like Jane Eyre and things like that ghosts from the past like the older man with the younger woman you know the man's like mysterious and something has to be uncovered um but then I guess you've got that almost like it's a catch-22 of like you need to uncover that secret but when you do things are never the same again you know so it's almost like uh, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place um but yeah I, I I love this film because I really find it interesting from a female perspective and a queer perspective, the relationship between Rebecca, the second Mrs. De Winter, and Mrs. Danvers, the housekeeper, and how they interact with each other. Um, this film's just full of strong female characters as well. You know, we've also got Mrs. Van Hopper, who is like the woman that um, the unnamed heroine is sort of a companion to at the start of the film. And then Beatrice... Um, 
just so much, so much good, strong female energy in this film. Um, and of course, like you just feel Rebecca's not in the film, but you feel it everywhere. Like her presence is just all over the film. Um, so yes, this is a very strong recommendation from me. And I know you've covered it on here before. I have, yeah. yeah. I, I covered it when we were talking about gothic literature um, with Elaine Pascal. Um, yeah, I, it's fine. <laughs> You're going to be like, it's fine. Um, I read the book shortly before um, watching. Um, I did, I really enjoyed Mrs. Danvers. Um, <laughs> she's just ridiculous. I love ridiculous characters. <laughs> um, especially when she's like coveting Rebecca's underwear. Or undergarments, you're just like, mm. <laughs> yeah. I recently watched um, Crimson Peak. Have you seen? Uh, have you seen Crimson Peak? When it first came out, I think I need to do a rewatch of it. There's there's a lot of similarities there, and um, Lucille, the character played by uh, Jessica Chastain, it, the channeling Mrs. Danvers. Let's just say that, <laughs> which is never a bad thing. <laughs> Not at all. Um, so yeah, so. Rebecca, for fans of Hitchcock and Gothic literature, I'm, I'm I would say I'm surprised you went with a Hitchcock for your first one, but I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm so predictable, damn. Um, so for my first um, uh, recommendation, I have covered this on the podcast before when I was doing German Expressionism, but I'm going to give it because that was a while ago. I'm going to give it another push. Um, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari from 1920. Uh, it's a German, as I said, expressionist silent horror film directed by Robert Vine um, and written by Hans Janowitz and Karl Meyer. Um, it is just amazing. Like, I love this. I love this film. I did one of my um, theses on German expressionism in movies and I'm obsessed with this film for its sets. It's all weird angulars kind of. And you can really see where Tim Burton got his uh, inspiration from. When you look at this film because of like his set pieces, even like it always reminds me of, you know, that bit in Beetlejuice where Lydia and Beetlejuice are getting married and (laughs) the fireplace in the background is like this weird angular disjointed Uh thing. It always reminds me of the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Um, So it is about um, this person called Dr. Caligari and he is basically hypnotizing a somnambulist who is a sleepwalker uh, played by Conrad Veidt to commit murders um, so he doesn't realize that he is committing these murders because he is sleepwalking um, and it's all about kind of um, unreliable narration um, murder it's just it's just very gothic and you know it came out at a time during the Weimar period in Germany where there was lots of political unrest, um, lots of distrust for the government. And this really reflects in the cabinet of Dr. Caligari. And I just think it's a visual masterpiece and it's just fantastic. And like everyone knows that kind of, um, that that shot of the, the sleepwalker and when he's got like his blacked out eyes. And yeah, I just think it's fantastic. It's one of the most influential films, I think. Yeah, yeah. I love the eye makeup, I've got to say. Um like you, I love all these like angles and how it's just playing with perspective and how that might feed into like the psychology of the characters. And I love that you spoke about like the fear, the unrest. I mean, watching it now, it's like <laughs> totally appropriate, right? It's like, we still feel like that. So 
yeah, it's uh, I love how it plays with like coloration as well. Um, yeah, it, it's fantastic. Have you ever seen it? You like in a set, like a pub, like a setting with other people, or no, I haven't. They, I think, a couple of years ago, or possibly pre-pandemic, they were showing it outside in one of the parks here in Dublin with like a wow, like a live orchestra set. But I could be making that up. I could be just projecting on what I would like. To be. <laughs> get um, it done, Green. Get it yeah. done. <laughs> I have a feeling there was that, and I just couldn't go because you know, yeah. when you have a child, you can't go anywhere. But um, yeah, yeah. I-, I can play a bit of violin, like a little bit of violin. I can yeah. do so. <laughs> okay, right. Well, I'll get you it. We'll we'll project it onto a white wall somewhere, and I'll get you into the violin. <laughs> okay. So, what is your second recommendation? Uh, so my second one is uh, The Wolfman um, from 1941, directed by George Wagner. Uh, so The Wolfman is about Larry Talbot, who returns to his family town to visit his father after his brother was murdered in a haunting accident. He's bitten by a wolf one evening whilst trying to prevent it from attacking other people. And soon after, the town is menaced by a wolf who is on the loose. But is it mass hysteria? Or is Larry now a werewolf? Those are the questions. Uh, <laughs> yeah, um, I this is probably my favorite Universal monster film. Um, just the cast are incredible. We've got Bella Lugosi, we've got Claude Rains, we've got Lon Chaney Jr. Like just so many amazing actors. I love the female leads in this as well. Such a strong hard talking funny like knowledgeable character which for like 1941 feels really like forward thinking um again like we're going to talk a lot about aesthetics i imagine but it's like the streets the smoke the sort of smudging effect how how things look in silhouette as well that is a thing what i do love about these black and white films like the woods and the trees and the shadows like everything's kind of like gorgeous but with a very like creepy quality to it <laughs> which I really enjoy um and then how they sort of use lighting as well within the film like through like candles lanterns fire and how that contrasts with the shadows as well um the pervasion of death as well which I guess is also something that runs through a lot of these films you know people die in graveyards coffins like people coming back from a dead like all those sort of themes feel like very prescient in these films. Also, this film's got some amazing screams in it, like some of the best <laughs> that I've heard in a long time. So it does get extra points for that. Um, and then obviously, you know, the the montage of like wolves, victims, like fate, like that sort of thing. I like fate as well, you know, when things are like inevitable, but can the person fight it? And I just love that um, notion of things that can happen. Like the notion of, is this happening or is it all in my mind as well? Because that that kind of thing in horror in general just terrifies me because I'm someone that like is always like projecting the worst scenario. So it's like, to think oh like to see that in horror for me is like particularly scary and then another thing that I'm, I'm just thinking of now that I do find in a lot of these films is like examples of like mob mentality so lots of like people coming together and trying to avenge and it's like 
it's usually a lot of like an individual who's an outsider versus like a collective within. Yeah, um, they did love a good mob in the Universal Pictures, <laughs> didn't they? Yeah, loved a good pitchfork and torch. <laughs> yeah, it's and it's very entertaining to watch as well. It's uh, it's very Beauty and the Beast. So <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I've seen uh, the Wolfman. Um, and obviously when they tried to remake it with uh, Benicio del Toro, that was hilarious. <laughs> I must rewatch that again, actually, <laughs> just for <laughs> just for comedic sake. Um, but yeah, when I was doing, so I did a bit on werewolves for Moving Pictures Film Club last year sometime. And I thought it was very interesting how there was this whole kind of thought that the wolfman, again, was queer coded because the wolf represents like your animalistic sexuality urges and having to like hide it and be you know a respectable member of society back in those days um so i kind of like it that it could be you know the wolfman could be this uh queer icon yeah absolutely and i think uh you know there's a lot of like familial stuff in here as well it's like fathers and sons and like that's really interesting to watch as well because a lot of gothic stuff's normally like you know husbands and wives and it's nice to see that different dynamic here yeah yeah okay so from one wolf to a dog yes <laughs> um my next recommendation is again from the 20s from 1929 um and and the Lou, which isn't really like a horror horror film but it has some quite weird quite almost like lynchian i guess uh, the original Lynchian moments in it. Um, it's a film that's directed by Louis Buñuel and also written by Salvador Dali. So we know it's getting weird. <laughs> we know it's getting surrealist. Um, it is... There's no plot. There's no convention to it. Um, it has no chron like chronology. It's very, you know, this is now and then eight years later. And it's just, <laughs> there's, there's just no, there's just nothing. It's, it's pretty much, obviously, being from Salvador Dali, it's dream logic. Um, but there are scenes in it like um, someone having their eye sliced open, which is just so disturbing. And I, I remember I was in a bar in Perth in Australia and they were playing this in the background. And I remember someone was trying to talk to me and I was like, I cannot listen to a word you're saying because someone's got their <laughs> eye, someone's eye is slicing open right now. And it's it feels like it was like the first example of body horror. Mm. Um, and I, I just couldn't believe that this was made in like 1929. Yeah. I'm like, this is gross. <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is something that you'd expect almost to see on like Saw or, you know, something Eli Roth would try to do. It's just It's just gross. And I think... It's just its disjointedness and its dreamlike quality makes it quite unnerving and uncanny along with these kind of visuals. So that's why I included it in my horror, black and white. Yeah, it's incredible to think what audiences must have made of it at the time. I w I'd love to know. Like, <laughs> I, I, I could imagine there was quite an uproar about it. Yeah, and though th those effects as well are incredible. Like even when like, there's a hand at one point that's like full of ants and it's just yeah it just feels weird it just feels really much like the the ground for kind of weird body horror 
yeah it's like being inside the nightmare isn't it it like, is yeah that, to me that's how it feels like oh yeah I, yeah i've dreamt things like this i'm sure yeah <laughs> <laughs> um so what is your next film that you're recommending uh so yeah my next film is cat people uh and not just because i love cats uh directed by Jack Tillier. Um, so, um, Cat People is about Irina Dubrovna. She is a Serbian artist trying to carve out a new life for herself in New York. When not sketching, she visits a panther at the local zoo, representing a symbolic link to her past, and which comes to reflect her position as an outsider. She meets Oliver and the pair marry, but she cannot bear intimacy, and she becomes more and more like the panther. So, uh i adore this film like absolutely adore it um my reading on it is like how it looks at xenophobia and attitudes of like immigrants as threats to patriarchal ideologies you know patriarchal attitudes like forced intimacy uh minimizing like irena's feelings also like just this concurrent trend as well of like man as the doctor like the healer like oh i need to like someone needs to do a book on that because there's just so many so many examples i'm forever like oh here's another one i need to start a spreadsheet um you know go and see an analyst like that, just that sort of thing and i think like the innocence as well a sense of like women having a stronger magic or being told strong imagination you know um, and also, like, there's a strong sense here of, like, male privilege. So Oliver remarking that he's he's never experienced unhappiness before. It's like, well, yeah, because you're so privileged. So you've never been in that position. Um, I really just identify a lot with Irina. It's like she's such an alien in her own environment. And, you know, anytime she tries to embrace a culture observer culture like it's always met with an opposition you know like how she might decorate her apartment or some of the choices she makes for her wedding and I think we see like that alienation extends from just Oliver to like his co-workers and then like it just sort of ripples out and out um and she just keeps returning bless her to the zoo and you know she's got an affinity with a caged animal which is just it's deeply sad but I think Another thing I see in this film is it's speaking to like American idealism and you know we see her wanting to be like other women you know and I think how that itself is like a really damaging construct it's like no you don't have to be like other women because actually do you know what underneath they're not happy either in this like patriarchal setup it's it looks ideal but underneath I mean for anyone who's seen Mad Men, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's not all apple pie and like A-line dresses. Um, you know, and then eventually like Oliver conspires with his mistress, you know, who's waiting in the wings and his analyst. And like, there's just really disturbing scenes of like them plotting Irina's future or what happened to her together. And it's like, to do that, without her presence it's just it's so disturbing and I think again it's just it it's a film that seems to play on this idea of fate as well and like just, just her fate from the beginning is just sealed um 
But yeah, it's so beautiful. It's just so beautifully shot, beautifully performed. I, I adore it. <laughs> yeah, and it has one of their first jump scares in a horror horror history as well. The yeah. <laughs> or bus or whatever it's called. Um, yeah, no, the when you were touching on when her husband and his you know mistress and the the analyst are all plotting together and being like, well, we'll put her away in an asylum and you know as long as you as long as you pay for it, it's fine. Then you you <laughs> two can go off and get married. And it's so disturbing. And it's like you know, there's a repeated thing where men are deciding women's psychiatric health mm. and that, you know, they could easily put them away into um, a hospital and women would have no choice over it. And, you know, it's just it's just that whole thing really disturbs me when we, we think about, like, what the psychiatric hospitals at the time were like, full of women that were just suffering from, like, depression or, you know, melancholia, as they called it back then. Mm. Um, so that's really, really stubborn. I also, I really love the swimming pool scene yeah. in this film. I yeah. love the swimming pool scene because I'm kind of like, good for her. Yes, no. you should be shocked and you should be scared. And, you know, good for Irina scaring the crap out of you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like, like you say, it's like the disposability of women is what's really disturbing, isn't it? And, you know, and yeah, like that swimming pool scene is just incredible. I'm like, go get them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. You psychologically mess her up. <laughs> um, so my next choice is by one of my favourite directors. Um, it is a James Whale film, perhaps lesser known than his uh, two Frankenstein films for Universal. Um, this is The Old Dark House from 1932. Um, it's actually a pre-code, pre-haze code, but... I feel like perhaps if this was like postcode, then he definitely wouldn't have gotten away with a lot of things. In <laughs> I just, I love this film so much. Um, so it centers around, there's a big storm happening and these five uh, travelers uh, come to this old dark house and they are seeking shelter from the storm. And in this house, like it's fallen apart, uh, but there is this family made up of uh, siblings called the Femme family. And um there is uh Horace who is played by the fantastic Ernest Thysinger who people would know from Bride of Frankenstein like he's just so camp and he just chews up every scene he's in it's absolutely fantastic and then there as well is um Eva Moore as Rebecca Femme who is absolutely hilarious like between <laughs> her and Horace they are the best um, so yeah, all these travellers have come in from the storm and um, Horace and Rebecca are acting a bit weird and it turns out that they have a secret brother called Saul and he is locked away in the house somewhere but he escapes and he tries to burn down the house. Um, and there is also um, Boris Karloff is in it as the manservant Morgan. Um, so yeah, it is basically the foundations for what we know now as the old haunted house films. I was going to ask you that is that is this like considered like the sort of the one of the first? Yeah, it really is. I mean, we've got like the eccentric family, we've got the old creaking house, you know, the the beautiful innocent travelers who don't know what they've gotten themselves into. And it's actually if you watch it and then straight away you watch Rocky Horror Picture Show after it, you're like, <laughs> that's where they got it from. Like, I know Rocky Horror is an amalgamation of a lot of things, but it's definitely the old dark house. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you just have to watch it for, like, the comedic value, how camp it is. 
um, it's fantastic. It's also very reminiscent of like, you know, what was it? Carry on. What was the the Halloween carry on they did? Oh, yeah. Uh, mm, I was going to say carry on screaming, but maybe I think not. that might be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carry on <laughs> screaming. It's very like Ernest Thysiger is, what was his name? Kenneth Williams. Like, yep. he was literally the starting point for Kenneth Williams, I think. Um, so yeah, great film. I think it's it's one of um, James Whale's best. Yeah, I I've definitely do a rewatch of that. I've seen it once, but and the comedic was definitely what I remembered. Um, and just the, all these characters together, just so juicy and and great, and you know every it real like ensemble like piece, like yeah, so fun. <laughs> yeah, so much fun. Um, so next one from you. Next one from me. I feel like I need to start by saying leaning, leaning. Uh, so yeah, uh, Night of the Hunter is uh, my uh, number four. Uh, so uh, it's uh, directed by Charles Lawton from 1955. And it's about a preacher named Henry Powell who's released from jail where his cellmate, who has now been condemned to death, disclosed to him that he had some money hidden um, back home with his children. So Harry heads to the man's family home, integrates himself into their lives, marrying his cellmate's wife and becoming a stepfather to the children, John and Pearl. But they soon become suspicious of him and they flee the town with the money and find themselves in a, a deadly chase with the preacher. Uh, so when I first saw this, right, I'd, I'd heard of it for a very long time and it's just always I meant to get to it. And I work in a performing arts university and I actually saw that, um, the students who are on a, a lighting and design course were holding a screening of it. And I was like, I need to get myself there. Like, matter <laughs> how. So, um, yeah, I skipped work for the afternoon and went to watch this screening. So um, I was in an auditorium with lots of students, which was such a great like atmosphere to see this film for the first time in. And like, particularly because they were younger. So I think, you know, their response to it was quite different to mine. Um, but so performances here are amazing. Robert Meacham, Shelley Winters, like just incredible. And again, we've got that like combination of beauty and horror that I see in a lot of these films like you know we've got the whole like the, that famous shot of him traveling on the horse across the field in silhouette again silhouettes um and then I also enjoy how later on when um Harry catches up with the children they end up at this woman's house who is sort of like a mother hen who takes in children who've got no home and how we might feel initially oh this is a very maternal soft character but actually she becomes armed with a gun and sits on a rocking chair and we see her in this silhouette you know and she becomes the one to be feared and i just love how it reverses the power um and gives that power to a strong female character um plus the scenes of like john and pale on the boat like down the lake with like the animals and the stars are just like some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Um, I also just love that idea of any film where like somebody, somebody who's disturbing and corrupt coming into a town 
and like integrating themselves when some when like one person knows and that sort of dynamic of are they going to be exposed and what are they going to do i just love i love those narratives i've never seen night of the hunter before um i keep meaning to it's definitely on my watch list i think um i'd heard it first talked about on the evolution of horror i think they put it under their uh, folk horror segment um so it's always like and lots of people bring it up as like you know massive inspiration um so i definitely do have to check it out um because i've heard amazing things about it yeah I mean, it goes a little bit heavy on the christianity but okay. if you can see past that, it's like... <laughs> maybe it's not for me then <laughs> don't give up on it agree no there's plenty there's plenty to like <laughs> okay so my next film we are going uh to france we are going to france yes we're, we're doing a lot of france this for me <laughs> anyway for some reason um and I chose the 1955 film Les Diaboliques, um, which is a psychological horror film directed by Henri Georges Clouseau. Um, and it is there is a boarding school, and the head teacher is a bit of a a bit of a dick, let's say. <laughs> and he has his wife, who is this very frail. She's very sickly, and uh, she's a like a, a teacher. And then there is another teacher who is his mistress and between them because he's very abusive to both of them between them they decide that they um want to kill him and hide his body and get rid of him so they devise this plan and whilst the mistress is quite headstrong and she's kind of like the the leader of it the uh the his wife the frail woman she becomes quite psychologically disturbed by the whole thing um, and it's it's basically, it has an amazing twist. I don't want to ruin it, but it has an amazing twist. And that scene where the twist is revealed is absolutely fantastic. Um, it's one of the greatest twist endings in horror history, I think. Um, yeah, and it's just about basically the psychological breakdown of someone when you're carrying such a huge weight of guilt and secrecy that your mind starts to basically implode and kind of how easy it is for your brain to be kind of manipulated. Um, and it's it, it, it's very poignant when it comes to like abusive relationships as well. Um, yeah, I just love it. I, I think the French are fantastic with their psychological thrillers, especially in, in this kind of era. Um, yeah, I love it. Yeah, and, and swimming pools again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> all about swimming pools. <laughs> Yeah, no, Le Diabolique is, is just superb. I, I I just echo everything you say, and I think it's so rich as well. It's like, yes, there's the twist, but I think it is a film that rewards multiple rewatches. Um, and I just love that it gives so much again to like you know, female female leads. Yeah, yeah. Um, the female leads are incredible. Like their performances are just the the way the pair of them just like work off each other. And it's such a perfect pairing of the two actresses that you couldn't really imagine like anyone else being able to do it. No, no. I feel like this is our like Halloween costumes sort yes. of. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely do that. Um, so your next one. Okay, so my fifth and final film is The Innocence by Jack Clayton. Um 
So a young governess is sent to a stately home named Bly to look after two young children, Miles and Flora. After spending some time in the winding corridors, Miss Giddens begins seeing the ghosts of two previous employees, Miss Jessel and Peter Quint, and the children also start behaving a little bit oddly as well. Is she just imagining things, or are Bly Manor and the children experiencing some kind of haunting? Um... So yeah, this has been a favourite of mine for a long time. It's it's really hypnotic. It, I just always feel just so drawn into it. And, you know, it's got one of my... Maybe I shouldn't mention it in case people haven't seen. But I, I will, I can, I'll tell you off my screen. But it's got one of my scariest, most scariest moments in horror. It's a very uncanny moment and it's just so disturbing. Um, And I like how the film plays with what you see what Miss Giddens sees, maybe what you don't see or you think you see. It's like that you're almost questioning yourself as well as questioning her. And again, um, I really feel like we're brought into her experience as well. It's like, I find that really, really interesting. And also again, just like that beauty and the horror combination of like roses, but then we've got like insects and, and death and, the way it juxtaposes like images of like beauty and like decay i really love that as well um and then just those themes like the sexual repression like the imagination versus reality the idea of like history repeating itself the reliable narrator you know the environment as well the sense of place how that really feeds into this like uh you know and like religion as well and the potential destruction of of religion like it's, and if this is a film that makes me feel uncomfortable as well like some of the interactions between miss jessel and miles are deeply now in 2023 like very uncomfortable to watch so i can't imagine what it must have felt like you know in the early 60s yeah i i haven't seen this um because i've seen so many turn of the screw adaptations oh this I'm, is the best though and thoroughly skipped them <laughs> Um, this is the best <laughs> is it though is it because i've yes. seen so many and i i just i cannot go through it anymore i cannot do it anymore to myself and <laughs> watch any more turn of the screw I, I don't even like the, the the story that it's from i remember reading it because someone was like this is the scariest book i've ever read and then i read it and i was like okay maybe i've just like read so much more like <laughs> disturbing stuff that it's like okay um because there, there was an adaptation from the 70s. I think it was a BBC adaptation. That was actually all right. Um, and then there was the most recent one, The Turn, which even though it was filmed here in my hometown, I'm just like, no. <laughs> it's no. awful. Yeah, and- no, I, I did. I, I think I reviewed that and yeah, no, not good. And then obviously we had like... Bla- uh- Haunt in a Blind Manor. No, Sorry. Not for me. Dreadful. (laughs) And I'm not a Stanagan or whatever they call themselves or a Fanagan. I don't know. (laughs) So I was just like, no, no. Um, But if you say The Innocence is the best, then maybe. Is it it under an hour and a half long? (laughs) Because I won't watch anything over an hour and a half. Yeah, I think it might be. So I think, you know, I'm going to sneak it. I'm just going to sneak it into, I don't know, some sort of. I'm going to post it to you as a different DVD and then you could put it in. And once it started, you'll just be like, this is so good. Rebecca was right. 
<laughs> okay, well, Albany could promise you that I will watch The Innocence and Night of the Hunter, I guess. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. As a birthday present to you, whenever your birthday is. <laughs> it, it's me, so. Yeah. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> we should do like a recap episode where it's like, have you watched yeah. these films? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So my next film is We Are Sane in France. Um, and it is the 1960 film Eyes Without a Face, aka Les Yeux Sans Visage. Um, again, another, a bit of a body horror. I feel like, well, obviously, because we've got the French extremity, France is kind of leading the way. In Interesting. These, uh, so, do you think films. these are almost like for like foreigners of? Yeah, I kind of do. Wow. I think I think like obviously, in Chien de Andalou is like that's French, and then we've got Les Sans Visage, which is like really extreme kind of gore and body horror. But I feel like with the French extremity, it's not just gore, it's also psychological, which is Lady Abelique as well. So Yeah, I can kind of see oh, there's an article in there somewhere. There is. I was trying to put the words right out of my mouth. The the, the, the lineage of French extremity. Yeah. <laughs> um so Les Yousons Visage centers around a um a a surgeon, um, Dr. Genessier. And apparently his daughter Christiane died um, in a terrible car accident, but it turns out that she didn't, and that she was just horribly disfigured. And he is actually keeping her, like basically locked up in the house because she could never go out because people would look at her and think she was a monster. And so he has engaged the uh, enlisted the help of one of his. Um, house servants to start kidnapping young women so he can attempt a facial um, transplant basically so he's slicing the faces off these girls and transplanting them uh, called a heterograft surgery um, and putting the faces and grafting the skin onto his daughter's face Um, and while he is kind of doing this she goes around in this like very plain white mask and all you can see behind is like her eyes so it's very it's it's very freaky again i think it touches on kind of this um patriarchal society where women must be beautiful and they must be presentable and how dare they look anything but they are not worthy of society or they are not worthy to be seen if they are not beautiful um and it's kind of disturbing that a father has this kind of <laughs> projection on his daughter like she's worth nothing if she's not beautiful and you're like you're her father sir stop it yeah it's like what she's just like an, an asset some sort yeah, of like, she's just an commodity object. yeah, yeah, yeah. something to be sold or so it's definitely disturbing on a lot of levels i've uh, not seen this okay so well there we go that's really that that can this. be my yeah watch but um yeah. yeah men don't come off well in these films do they, they really don't <laughs> Like none of them, <laughs> not, none of them at all. <laughs> apart from apart from my last one, I think there's one man that comes off well in this. So, um, yeah, but yeah, a lot of them. Uh, that's that's something that's like really interesting because you'd think about like form films like back in the day that it would be very like men are great, blah 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 blah. And while like on the surface you could be like, oh yeah, maybe they are. But when you look really deep, you're like, actually, no, they really had something to say about like the patriarchal society and 
you know, women's rights. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's interesting, isn't it? It's like, yeah, on the surface, maybe it looks like, you know, in Rebecca, Olivier's a hero, but like, actually, like he's deeply problematic. And yeah. Or like, look at what this father would do for his daughter. He must really love her. And you're like, yes, actually, no, <laughs> <laughs> actually, no. Yeah. Hindsight's a wonderful thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what is your last, um, your last recommendation for us? I think I've done all mine. Have you? That's, I've got five there. Yeah. Night of the Hunter. Oh, I did six. Whoa, girl. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to give my last one because... You give it, girl. It's I'm your go- podcast. I'm going to do it. <laughs> Why not? Just because I can't count doesn't mean that... Um, <laughs> doesn't mean that these listeners should miss out. <laughs> so my last one, extra bonus, getting bang for your buck, um, is the classic... 1968 Night of the Living Dead by George A. Romero. Um, if you haven't seen this film, what is wrong with your life? Um, <laughs> it is based around um, Barbara, bless her, and she has been to the cemetery with her brother Johnny and ghouls are returning from the grave and um, she runs away she comes across this farmhouse and in the farmhouse is this guy Ben and he takes the reins and he snaps her out of it gives her a terrible but he gives her a slap because she's just going a bit mad and he's like get yourself together um and he tries to fight off the impending horde of uh ghouls which uh romero first called them but would then become what we now know as zombies um it is an amazing piece of cinema it has commentary on class um, race which was actually quite accidental um george a romero didn't mean it to be um a, a commentary on race but when he employed um the the actor who played ben duan jones um it was a real big thing because back in those days unfortunately black actors weren't really chosen as uh, leading men and when he chose a black man as a leading man it really became a commentary on race. Um, and I just think it's one of the best horror films, one of the most influential horror films out there. I mean, without this, we wouldn't have got what we now know as zombies. And we wouldn't, unfortunately, we wouldn't have all the terrible, terrible zombie films that we well, now have yes. today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, zombie zombie horror is like my least favourite like oh, I just can't get on with like zombie films but this film I absolutely adore and respect and I, I can't believe actually how much social commentary it manages to keep in there like is incredible and you know especially looking at it in a post-covid world today feels like it's a commentary on that it's like how how did that how on how on earth um I saw the stage play of this as well which was I don't know if you got to see that no but- so they're like project on the film and then they've got the actors act on the film but then someone's like filming them performing the film so it's very like meta textual like it's really fascinating but yeah i i totally agree i love that sort of the dynamic almost of i'm more interested in actually rather than the zombie element the dynamic within the house like the upstairs downstairs and the battle for space and like you've already said like the notes on like class race um that sort of thing 
Um, and I always feel like Barbara is slightly misread, you know, as like this pathetic, voiceless woman. But, you know, I think when you consider actually you lay out what she's been through, I think if that if that's how she responds, I think that's fine for her. It's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who wouldn't go catatonic at a, a zombie yeah. invasion? <laughs> yeah, I think I think it contains one of my favorite lines, which is "They're coming to get you, Barbara." It's like <laughs> I just I love I quote it all the time, and my husband and my child just like, "What are you talking about? Who's Barbara?" And I'm just like, <laughs> "Don't get it." <laughs> so definitely, it's one of my like top ten, possibly favorite films. Um, now I know they actually did do an outdoor screening of this that I couldn't get to um, yeah. I didn't dream that one up so I, <laughs> I'd love to go see it in like a cinema like in a really big kind of screen I think it would be amazing um, yeah and plus it's one of the films that is constantly played in the background of other films because yeah. it is in the um, it is uh, copyright free so anyone can use it <laughs> I could have played it today for you. Um, yeah, right. Um, so yeah, that was my bonus, my bonus recommendation. Bonus. Yeah, yeah, I got I got a couple of honourable mentions. Go on then, um, go I'm for not it. gonna I'm not gonna like talk about them, but I just thought um, there was few that didn't make it, and I I just couldn't not let them have a little bit of space. Uh, so House on Haunted Hill from 1959, um, directed by William Castle, because. Vincent Price is everything, like just everything. Uh, Psycho, um, I mean, Psycho, uh, Carnival of Souls, um, directed by Hick Harvey. Another, really, I was very close to putting that one in, you know, it deals in a lot of those themes we've been talking about. And then Repulsion, um, directed by Roman Polanski, another film that I just think is superbly executed and explores a lot about like the female psychology space and consent and loneliness and feeling like an outsider so yeah they're just some little honorable mentions for me yeah mine would be um Nosferatu obviously yeah. I, I kind of tried to stay away from the obvious ones um but Nosferatu Frankenstein Bride of Frankenstein Creature <laughs> from the Black Lagoon Dracula whatever <laughs> happened to baby Jane yeah, yeah. That's so obvious that I was like, oh, maybe I shouldn't. Yeah, but, that was, oh. yeah. I remember I got when I was in college and I was like, will I get food or will I buy this DVD or whatever happened to Baby Jane? And I got the DVD instead. So <laughs> <laughs> I went hungry for that, but it was worth it. Um, so, yeah, they would be my honorable mentions. Um, what do you think, just before we go, what do you think of films that are modern but are filmed in black and white? <laughs> I was scared you were going to ask me this. Um, <laughs> literally, I was. And I was like looking some up and thinking, because I, I was literally looking at my list and thinking these are all like from decades ago. And I was curious actually to see if you were going to bring some like more modern ones. Um, what do I think? Um, uh, what do I think? I think, I mean, it depends on the, the subject and the intention, I guess. You know, um, I think there's obviously there's films like Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and uh, there was another one that came into my head, but I've forgotten. But, you know, I'm sure there's other examples. Um, I think, you know, it's it's a good way of like 
almost interacting with the gothic and like within the genre um but i guess it depends if they're going to use modern effects in those films that i'm like for me this is you've got to be all in okay so if you're going to do it like do it like (laughs) like as it would have been done in like 1942 it's like Or 1920 even. Like, let's go, Let like, I would love to actually see almost, like, someone try and do something like that. I mean, we had the, it's not a horror film, but the artist was huge, wasn't it? That was a black and white horror that was very much rooted in the past and it seemed to do incredibly well. It would be, it'd be nice to see some filmmakers maybe try and, like, not not i don't mean to like mimic the vintage like black and white horror because i think there's no point just doing that i think you've you've got to do it you've almost got to do it but you know in a different way it would be nice to see that yeah i there was the release by disney last year werewolf by night that was all in black and white um and i actually really really liked it um i felt like it was a nod even though yes it was quite modern and they didn't use the effects or whatever but it was this heart back to like universal horror which i i really appreciate it i really appreciate it. it was something a bit different i think if they'd gone full color with it it wouldn't have been as special as it was um wow. so i really enjoyed that i'm hoping for more of that because i want more of it um but yeah i completely agree with you i would love to see a horror film made with should the... we just do it like let's just do it sure we haven't it's not like we've got loads of other things to do it's not like we're really busy of course we can make a film rebecca and <laughs> yeah. oh, a field in england was the other one that came to oh, mind okay. yeah. right i Which haven't is... seen that okay yeah um but yeah I, I i agree let's let's get some time in and let's make this black and white film <laughs> Or if anyone would like to undertake this idea and take it off our hands, we'd be eternally <laughs> grateful, but we will We need the eating. credit, though. Yeah. It's like, you know, exactly, it was yeah. our idea. <laughs> we will be retaining the credit. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Rebecca, for coming on and chatting black and white. Um, before you go, where can people find you on the internet, I guess? <laughs> Social media, that's what I meant, not the internet. <laughs> Uh, so um, thanks very much for having me Um, yeah people can find me in my work on Twitter and Instagram I've got Linktree which will take you to all my stuff Um, I've got um, some articles that are specific to films we've discussed so I've got a piece in Grim Journal about the female love triangle and Rebecca I've got my piece on Rebecca for Moving Pictures Film Club I did an article for Dread Central on cat people and then I've got a comparison piece with Attack from Planet B about Carnival of Souls and the Innocents. So yeah, you can find all that at Pendle Pumpkin. Great. And you can find What a Scream at what underscore scream on Twitter. And don't forget to like, review, subscribe, all that fun stuff wherever you listen to us. Um, And stay horrific. Goodbye. <laughs>